Watt, welcome to the program. Pleasure to be on. Alan Watt is a long-term researcher into the causative forces behind major changes in historical development. Alan believes society is designed through a controlling elite whose ultimate goal is the total enslavement of humanity. With historical documentation, he shows how cultures are created and altered by those in control, always to lead the people like sheep into the next pasture. He's the host of the radio program Cutting Through the Matrix and is the author of many books, including Cutting Through, Volumes 1, 2, and 3, which can all be found at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. Alan, who are these controlling elite, and what exactly is The Matrix? The Matrix is your whole accepted reality. Uh, the reality that everyone shares, because we've all had the same indoctrination. Indoctrination doesn't start and get over with. Indoctrination goes on all your life, uh, through all controlled media. And uh, if you really study it from many years ago, as I did, I used to wonder why, for instance, the format from Radio Moscow during the Cold War uh, was exactly the same presentation format as the BBC in England, in their English version. If you compare that today with the Radio Beijing for China, again, you wouldn't know if you're listening to BBC and the topics they bring up, uh, how they're presented, etc. So you're already in a global society, and I realized that a long, long time ago. Uh, that that really shaped the cultures of the peoples towards a global system of of control and encouraging the people to accept more and more control. Uh, plus, the, the famous authors that really took part in the world meetings all throughout their lives, working on this very very problem: how to get the public to change all of their attitudes, uh, to to change their way of looking at life, and completely actually. Uh, and how to get them into a global society where they'd all have basically the same thoughts, ideas, feelings on every particular topic that would be brought up in their peer groups because of the indoctrination we've all had. And when you go into the writings of um, people like um, Theo Adorno, for instance, a fantastic insight uh, into by, by the Frankfurt School. Uh, the Frankfurt School was very big in Germany pre-World pre War II. It ran over to the U.S., uh, when, when Hitler came in, and they were given permission eventually after the, after the war to create a different culture, for instance, for America. And they worked with Lord Bertrand Russell, who was a, a big philosopher, historian, and so on, mathematician, who worked on language and how language could be used in a mathematical formula uh, to bring and, and instill ideas in people, bringing them to the correct conclusions, much like a computer would do with a computer language. So he worked with uh, the Frankfurt School and the Macy Group that also was brought in. And the idea was that the Western world might become fascist, and therefore how could they prevent it? But what they really wanted, in fact, was a compliant society uh, with, with a natural order, as they called it. The natural order, just merely communism. Uh, communism was not a quality for the people. It was a quality amongst the people, but to, to be run by a scientific intelligentsia. Well, I realized that the scientific intelligentsia already ran Britain and the British Commonwealth long before, and they still do today. So it all ties in together. Power always must control the future. 
The easiest way to control the future is to give the thoughts to every generation. And, and by that I mean every people born every, every couple of years between them, basically. They're updated so perfectly today into uh, what indoctrination they'll get at kindergarten. Slightly different and more advanced than the ones who were there three or four years before them. And then when I read the, the writings by Beria, who was the head of the police and, and the head of the Comintern at one point in, in the Soviet Union, in 1933, I think it was, or 32, he said that um, at one time it took us 70 years, a generation was 70 years at that time, uh, to change even the smallest behavioral uh, things in society, behavior in society on certain topics. He says with, with scientific indoctrination, he says we can now alter them radically uh, and, and fast, he says, even every four years within every intake of child. So the ones who are brought in, say, for today are given uh, the indoctrination which will tie in with the agenda, which is literally in 20, 30, 40, 50, 100-year plans, just like the United Nations uses. And um, whatever they will experience in their life that will have to be a big change, they're already being pre-programmed to accept it without thinking it through. When you're very young, you don't have the wisdom behind you and, and the logic and reasoning powers be persuaded so easily by emotive reasoning. Emotive reasoning is used by all video presenters, and some of the famous ones, in fact, are used in school, are women's voices, a lot more Canadian, actually, and they've got a low voice, almost hypnotic, and with the, the coupling of imaging, uh, where to do with wildlife or whatever it happens to be, that's, that imprints in the person's mind. And so they've been uh, basically readied for the big change in that area, they'll experience in their life, but they get lots of imprints as they go through the educational system. And then when you take other big philosophers like Jacques Yilal, he's mentioned in one of his books on propaganda how most people don't really reason their way to opinions. They absorb them by osmosis. In other words, the airwaves are saturated by mainstream, always with the same topics, of course, presented in the same way. And, and you, you think that because it's so uh, overwhelming, it's everywhere, then it must be true or it must be the correct way or whatever. And so you adapt your new attitudes towards it. When you go into the writings of another big guy who played part in the Macy Group and the World Meetings, that's why he knew, knew so much about it, that was Aldous Huxley, along with his brother Julian Huxley. And Aldous Huxley, who also worked with uh, George Orwell, you know, in fact, he tutored him at one point in England. But... Uh, they, they discussed ways of bringing in the perfect totalitarian society. Uh, so or Orwell uh, thought that it would be the big boot initially with fear and terror and fake, uh, what they call fake resistance. Today they call it fake patriot, you see. And um, entice them into it. And then, of course, you get who, who the, the potential rebels will be. You can get them before they do anything. And you nip them in the buds. Or you, you, you get them going round in circles and wasting their time forever. That's all been done too. But they also mentioned that they'd go into the scientific uh, system as well. That was the difference between Orwell and Huxley with Brave New World in 1984. And in reality, we have both systems going on right now with the massive increase in police dressed like World War II uh, SS guys with the same hats on, the whole bit, black everything, the sign of death, you know. And uh, you have that on the go. You have uh, anti-terrorism. It's a great thing for drastically ordering, uh, reordering society, taking away the rights of the public. 
And um, you have massive indoctrination of political correctness in so many forms now from the top down. It's not from the bottom up. Uh, it's almost from the top down. And you go back as far as Plato, where you discuss cultures and how to maintain power. Because every, every powerful generation tries to hold on to it for their own offspring. That's is traditional right up to the present time. Therefore, you must plan the future and bring in the future you want. So you train the public uh, to, to be ready for that new, uh, your offspring to take over uh, with as little fuss as possible. Uh, this goes on today too. We have, we have oligarchies of bureaucrats uh, and, uh, and they're intergenerational too on all federal levels, you know. Uh, so we're, we're run by hereditary um, experts, you might say. And we're run by scientific experts. And academia at the top, especially with the behavioral sciences, is completely on board with all the big think tanks, private foundations, which advise governments uh, on policies of all, all kinds. So we're really run by private organizations, very wealthy, wealthy people who set up the foundations a long time ago, tax exempt foundations, under charitable guises. Uh, the richest folk on the planet own these foundations. They also control hundreds and hundreds of non-governmental organizations that are always getting names in the press because whatever they protest is on behalf of the elite, although often sounds as it's coming from the people at the bottom. So we're run by private organizations. Therefore, democracy is basically a farce. So most folk never catch on to it. They can't follow it. Uh, unless they really do their basic studies. And it's a very basic study to come to the right conclusions. When you went to, again, Lord Bertrand Russell, he talked an awful lot about this coming society. And he said, and I think it was in uh, The Impact of Science on Society, he, says, he said, eventually, he said, uh, we'll have a compliant population. And he, he also said that um, it'll be a form of tyranny, a, scientifically, a scientific tyranny, and with scientific indoctrination perfected, it will be applied to all school children and then throughout their entire lives through all media. That's your updates, basically, and what's now politically correct and so on. So we've, we have lived through this. You don't get big uh, uh, multi-trillion dollar organizations meeting every year around the world with big private foundations, Rockefellers, Fords, Carnegie's, and so on, uh, who make agendas for depopulation uh, and so on without them putting it into action. They meet to put it into action. And then with, through their think tanks, they, they, do, they break up, up the policies for the governments and they approach the governments who are only too happy to accept them and implement them on their behalf for the greater good, as they call it. So uh, democracy is a, is a show, unfortunately. In lieu of this, what would there be? Chaos? There needs to be some element of control. Uh, this is not control, though. It's a tyranny. That's the difference. When even the founders of it said it would be a tyranny, it would be tyrannical and absolute in its power. We already have this going in. A very old idea, remember, it's nothing, nothing new about it, uh, but world meetings prior to World War II with the, the, the Psychiatric Association said, everybody's insane except us, you see. And um, this was the whole, the whole Freudian push was, in fact, was to drastically test and alter every child as they grew up, under the guise that no one was sane except themselves. 
And uh, there's lots of famous videos up on YouTube, in fact, of, of the famous people who came out on the behalf of the Britain, the British Psychiatric Association, which is part of the World Psychiatric Association, saying the same thing. So eventually all politicians also will have to be vetted by us and updated. Well, now they've brought this into the perfection, because in some countries like Britain and Scotland, they've brought a, a program called GIRFEC. Uh, it's a different name in England and, and Wales, but it's the same program where the government is already mandated. It doesn't matter your class system or financial system, society. Every child, when it's born, is given a lifelong uh, um, advocate from the government, appointed by the government to them, to that child, who starts testing them from the age of two months on. Two months. And when you read through the GERFEC program, it's astonishing. They want to find out if that child shows any anti-racist views at the age of two months. And it'll be tested all through their lives with the person coming to your home. You can't refuse them entrance. And they do all these tests all through that child's life. If they find something like Orwell would say, own think or self think, where you come to the conclusions by yourself, that will be a black mark and that will have to be rectified in order to bring up this compliant, brave new world type society. Uh, this is on the go. It's all passed and in, in, in motion now. It also was set up by Sarkozy of France. He had a lot to do with it uh, for the World Socialist Society. And, uh, and, and they're introducing it in different names in different countries. So, and of course the World Health Organization is also in charge of it. Now we don't vote for any of these organizations in democracy whatsoever. They're private. And yet they have more power, it would seem, than even the governments. The governments seem to be subservient to them, which I think they are. When you, when you really take the, the, the fact that every prime minister of Canada or Britain or, or the U.S. president, according to Professor Quigley, who was the historian for the Council on Foreign Relations, a private organization, uh, he, had, he had access to their archives. He says, back in the 60s, he says, there hasn't been... Um, a member of, of Parliament in Britain or, or anything, or Canada, uh, at the top, the top ones are all important. He says, well, hasn't been a member of this private organization for 60 years. And that was, six, that was in the 60s he said that. This goes, this goes back into the 1800s. You know, we're both Canadians, mm -hmm. and we live in a relatively prosperous nation. I would say our quality of life is quite high. Mm -hmm. The average Canadian is not outraged with the government. No. So why is Canada seemingly exempt from this tyranny? It's not, actually. Uh, Canada is introducing the same uh, forms of testing for, for personality development, as they call it. Canada has been drugging their children at schools if they, if they claim they're hyper or whatever for years, just as like the U.S. and Canada. They know the outcome uh, from many years of study on the children, how they end up, and I've had many of them uh, who hit their 20s, if they live that long, that is, uh, totally screwed up with the drugs and, and the amphetamine speed that they've been put on to stop them asking questions in classroom. And actually, that's what it boils down to, too. Because in the classroom today, it's, all, also, it's almost a, a matriarchal society. And they want the boys to behave exactly the same as, as the girls, which never happened in the past. And that's why they used to give you breaks every so often, so the guys could run out and burn off their, their, their energy. Uh, and then they'd sit for a bit more, maybe fidget a bit in class, but that was normal behavior. Today, we all have to be shaped in a uniform, uh, genderless society. And Boys will be boys. You know, we'd go out for recess, we'd get into fights. Yeah. It was normal. 
it was normal, and you ran and chased and played all kind of games and so on, and and that's how you burned off that energy. It's a crime now, and and you're supposed to be because apparently there's no such you know you you know the PC nonsense has come out. We're all genderless, really. Our roles are just given to us by custom. This is a new uh, mantra. Uh, so you drug the boys, and the, the boys, the, the ones who ask a lot of questions in school, the modern teachers train that they are a pest because they ask so many questions. So what you do, you drug them and they stop asking questions. But the drugs have been put on with Ritalin and all the other drugs they have uh, shrink the brain, by the way. And they never develop properly afterwards. So future leaders are, 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 out of, are just knocked out of the picture. That's a way of neutralizing them. Because future leaders ask a lot of questions in school. You see? Not, nothing happens for no reason. doesn't happen for no reason. And as I said, the big boys talked about this. Bertrand Russell, in fact, was given a charter in the 1920s in Britain, which allowed him to, to, to bring in mixed schools uh, of children under 12 to do Pavlovian experiments uh, in Britain uh, on these particular children. And his, his goal was to try and get to hypersexualize the children before they were even into puberty. Because the, the big fear, still is today, of the elite was that the ordinary folk would outbreed all the rest of them. It's still, it's the same fear today, by the way. Uh, although it's much reduced. But anyway, he had the experimental school on the go, and he went through it in one of his books. On on uh, if you, if you hypersexualize children and encourage it and encourage prepubertal sex, then the possibilities of them mating up and for life to have children later on would be almost cancelled out. They wouldn't stay with a partner long enough. And they would want fun as opposed to responsibility. He said, which will create an egocentric and hedonistic society. Well, that was all achieved, you see. It's all been done today. So we've been tampered with all of these years. And the fact is most folk are oblivious to it. Now, a lot of folk would be all for it, uh, who, who actually see themselves as belonging towards the elite crew. But as Julian Huxley said, the brother of Aldo, he says, lots of I'll think they'll come in to this eugenical society at the top because they've been good workers towards the agenda, he says, but they're in for a nasty shock. They're very, very picky indeed. And he worked for UNESCO and Planned Parenthood, you know. So we've been run by these private organizations, given authority by IR the Crown. Uh, the Frankfurt School was given authority to change America culture right after the war by the U.S. President Truman. And that's where a task to be given, you know, the responsibility for completely altering the culture of the general public, without the public being aware is even being done to them. Darwinian principles come in because Darwin, and then the, 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 uh, the ones who took over from Darwin, went right into eugenics. That's where it had to go. That's where it was really meant to go. And so the big fear again back then was, oh my God, all the rabble uh, will uh, outbreed all the, the, the elites, you see. And they also had big, big meetings, world meetings of top bankers, Rothschilds attended, uh, and so on. And they discussed a pre-industrial society. And they, did, they, did these, they had these meetings before when industrial society was really undergo, underway. But they knew it wouldn't last forever because they had plans to move abroad, even back in the early 1900s. Uh, and so what do we do with all these people who are now landless because they got them off the land to go into the factories through the corn laws that Rothschild himself introduced into Parliament? 
where foreign corn and, and, and grain could be dumped on the British market and put the domestic ones under. He arranged for that to happen. They had no option then to, to move into these new uh, red brick cities where all the, the looms and so on were all set up. Uh, and, and that was awfully successful for him, for him. But the people then lost the ability to farm. And then you bring yourself into society where you're totally dependent on everything from outside of you. That's just what they call interdependence. It means you're not de- independent on any particular area for survival. That's the meaning of it. So they've already brought that society in. And, and they talk way back then of post-industrial, what will we do with all of these excess people? We can either use them for the last wars, what we have to do, but we've all also already agreed to, to make America the policeman of the world because Britain had so much debt to the private bankers for all their wars and empire building. And so they, they passed on the torch uh, to the U.S. to take over uh, the next hundred years of empire. But we have drones now. Oh, yeah. They don't need the people to fight their wars anymore for them. Uh, they do, only for one reason, and that is to give the impression that they're still not as advanced as they really, really are. It is very true. Even, you know, even in the 70s, they had, they had a lot of high-check equipment where they could blast out whole countries without putting a man on the ground. We have weather warfare that Brzezinski talked about in his book, Two Ages, Between Two Ages. He said it's a perfect weapon. It's more destructive and manageable than, than the effects of an atom bomb. And uh, he said we can literally cause drought across an entire country and bring it into starvation or flood it out, uh, and so on. And uh, so we had that. Then he said we have uh, the neurotronic warfare, or technotronic warfare, uh, which also uh, can send signals across the ent- an entire continent and make people very placid uh, or make them very aggressive, depending on, on the, the frequency which you use. They already had it back in the 1970s when he wrote that book. Uh, and it worked. Obviously, it wasn't something to come. Uh, he said it, it, it works. So uh, we have all of this in place, and I'm sure it has been used. Uh, I've seen big, strange uh, antennas going up across Europe and Britain, which look like upside, look like microphones, actually, huge, massive microphones in shape. And they're towers, and they will not tell the public what they're for. Uh, but all around the housing schemes and, and so on, and big built-up units, areas, these things are up there. I've seen the, the photographs, too, of the massive, heavy-duty amperage cables that go into them. And these are capable of, of uh, sending out the, the technotronic stuff. Society is to be controlled scientifically. And that, that isn't just through scientific persuasion. It's by any and every means possible to maintain uh, the status quo or power again, you know. So we're, we're well underway to all, all of these things. Um, Kissinger himself said that at one time we had to use thousands of troops, heavily armed troops, and, and, the, uh, and fear to keep the population in check. But even then he said they could always overrun us. Today it's easier to, to, to control them by slaughtering millions than, than using many men. Uh, and so we're all already in this, this position. Uh, the public have no idea that academia is completely on board at the top. Uh, with complete depopulation of, of the planet, leading to mandatory depopulation, as they've been talking about for the last hundred years. So we really have uh, gone along with this agenda, and as Lord Bertrand Russell said, it will be a scientific tyranny. He says, if there's to be a tyranny, I, I would much prefer to be a scientific tyranny, which would, would be utterly ruthless, he said. Yeah.
Have there ever been any civilizations throughout history that have not had a small self-serving elite? There's never been this kind of thing, no. Um, rebellions were common. Rebellion. Has there ever been a free society? A free society can only exist in a simple tribe. Uh, in a simplistic tribe, and you'd find this when you used to travel the globe, uh, you would go around, say, villages in Africa, uh, where the headman had nothing more than the average person in the village. And he would roll out his, a, kind of, uh, a, kind of, a kind of cane roll, he'd roll it out with his few possessions on it, and, and show you uh, his prized objects. But he had no wealth in excess of what the people had. And that was the only safe way, because if he got too big for his boots, which, which occasionally happened, uh, then the folk could deal with him or his family and, and overthrow him. Once you're beyond that stage, no, once you have standing armies uh, and laws and legalisms and so on, it's much more difficult. That's why the U.S., when, when it had its, uh, its battle for independence, uh, said if you get a standing army, it will turn on the people because they knew at that time every standing army of the domestic country had always been turned on its own people. So there had big debates about it. And um, today our standing armies are used for private enterprise. There's, if anyone who can think at all can, can see through that. They had the standing army because I think it was Jefferson got round it by, by uh, bringing in the Marines. So technically they were Navy, you see. Uh, and so you had troops that were really Marines. And, and then after a while, of course, uh, as, as American culture was taken over, it really was. And it was warned about, too, that it would be taken over if the people didn't get involved. Uh, that's what it's called the, the Great Experiment. Could man rule himself, in other words? And if they didn't, you know, the, the real shysters would move in uh, and, and take them over, primarily through money. It's the easiest way to control is through private uh, finance and banking and debts. So you're living through a system where there are different factions working together. Uh, and, of course, the banking system is essential for everything. Some people prefer to dominate by brute force, like a, a general. But he needs money to equip his army and to keep it going. Or the guys that don't get paychecks, they just go home. <laughs> so once they get uh, someone in charge of the money, then he must go for, for his money to, to the bankers. So do the, uh, the prime ministers and presidents go over to, for the bankers. And so the boss of it all really is, is the clever bankers. And down through thousands of years, this is how they, they made their money, loss of money. And, and out of that really came their governmental systems. In lieu of taxation, that's how they get paid back. Uh, you get a government, the modern government, and they call it democracy. The Prime Minister goes and borrows the money, uh, or he appoints someone to do it. That's what the Bank of Canada is, as you know. It's not a bank. It used to be a bank. It's not a bank now. It's a floor of a building where, where the government representative appointee meets the private banks and borrows the money from them, works out the debt and interest rates, and, and then they agree on it. And um, it's been that way for an awful long time, since uh, the end of the Great Depression. Canada printed its own money up until... Uh, the Great De into the Great Depression, it had no debt because it sold its money into, through projects into society and it sold the money into the bank so it wasn't created as debt money. You understand? It actually paid for itself and its printing and all the rest of it by selling it to the banks who then lent it out. Uh, so people came from all over the world 
in countries that were sinking with the Great Depression to see how the Canadian system worked, and, and, and it was because it wasn't in the hands of the private banks. But as time went on, and other ones came in, and Trudeau especially, he, he just copied the same system, and now it's all private uh, uh, banking. It's all borrowed money. Do you consider yourself a conspiracy theorist? No, no, because all the books that I read were all put out by professors and so on, and big players. And I read their sites. You've got to read their own sites, read their own books as well. Their world meeting books are also important, these big, big UN meetings that they have, uh, because they do get what they want. They, they plan the agenda, and they work it as, as the communist system did, and the United Nations did, as I say, 10-year plan to have this part achieved, 50-year plans for this part, 100 years for this part. They, this is how they work every part of the program. With the internet now, information, you can't take it at face value. Not that you ever could, but mm -hmm. I suppose there's a little yeah. bit more validity to a book than... Yes, or, or the, the big foundations own websites, or even the United Nations websites, because they will, they, they will put out what they arrived at, at least for the public consumption version, uh, in their own websites. They will put it up on their big annual meetings on even depopulation and things like that. I think it's fair to say that only a small fraction of conspiracy theories are true. And you can't take any of the information on the internet at face value. No. So are conspiracy theorists useful idiots for the powers that be, essentially creating well, distractions? There's two sides to this, because remember that, that if you study history, history is nothing but conspiracy. That's what it's comprised of conspiracy. Whether it was... Um, Guy Fawkes, for instance, going to blow up Parliament on behalf of other powers. Uh, or, or even the setup of Guy Fawkes, as others have said too, uh, to make the king look good, catch him in the act sort of thing and get people to acclaim him. Because he wasn't very popular when he came in. Uh, and, and then you have conspiracies for wars that are planned years ahead and the instigation of wars to get people to fight back so you can declare war on them. This is an old technique, uh, well, well described in history books. And so... Tony Blair, for instance, before the Iraqi war, and this came out in the, in the Daily Mail in Britain only last year, or I think it was earlier this year, because they love to tell you after the facts. When folk are calmed down about it, just bring it out. It's almost a legality. But anyway, he said that, oh yeah, they had meetings with Esso, Oil, BP, Shell, all the biggies, before, like two years before they went to Iraq. Uh, and they divvied up the oil fields amongst themselves that they wanted. They vied for different oil fields and the cuts they'd get and so on. And the money they would give to the Labour Party if they were given uh, jurisdiction over these oil fields. That was a conspiracy because it was kept secret until long afterwards to the, for the public. So this kind of thing happens all the time. Uh, we also know that before 9-11 happened, they tried to get an anti-terrorism bill put through in the U.S., Everybody said, what's happening? There's no terrorism here, uh, and so on. Uh, and Bill Clinton tried to get it through, an omnibus crime bill. One week later, after it was turned down, one week later, you had the Oklahoma City building went up, and it, it passed it that weekend. They revived it and passed it that weekend. And Canada, people forget that in 1998, I think it was, Alan Rock, another appointee, these appointees are very, very important in governments, because um, they, they know their part in this agenda is to be. Uh, he passed the Omnibus Crime Bill for Canada. And our generally uh, very quiet journalists 
actually vocalise their, their concerns and consternation. Why are they putting what's essentially a wartime act when nothing's happening? Of course, no answer was given. And this is all before 9-11 happened in 2001. It was in preparation for it. And then we find out before 9-11 happened that uh, the PNAC group in the States, as you know, the Project for New American Century group uh, of Wolfowitz and Cheney and all these guys who got in with Bush eventually, had already published the countries they wanted to attack in the Middle East, a list of them. Uh, and all the countries we're going through, we've already gone through and, and still there's something to be done, are all on that same list. Plus we find out they had troops massing on the Afghan border for weeks and weeks building up to it before 9-11 actually happened. You know, but Syria was on that list and it didn't work this time. The people rallied against it and Obama wasn't able to rally the troops. See, you understand, there are many ways to take down a country. The first one is traditional, it started in World War II against Germany, embargo, you see. If you, if you starve them out and nothing can, can get in or come yeah, out. To get, siege you know. 101. Yeah, and then you get, uh, we did the same thing too with Iraq, remember, for years. Gulf War, the Gulf War was from, the, what, 91? Right through uh, to the to present day, really. It hasn't stopped. People forget this is an ongoing war. And they, they did embargo the, on that one too. Uh, and then they sent in uh, the agitators. They'd already tried the soft powers, they call it, as Brzezinski calls it, at the big world meetings at the United Nations. They send in soft powers, which are the agitators, professionally trained agitators who go into universities and they start agitating for overthrow of the government. And it might take them five years or more, sometimes ten years. And they're well paid to do this. Uh, it, it takes that long to get the people agitated enough to maybe go along with it and have a passive or an active rebellion. And we've had, so they're called color revolutions now. So I've had that going on in Syria and all these other countries as well at the same time. They're trying it in Iran right now too. And the Iranians have been watching this for years as they come in from the West, highly funded, and they have to weed out the ones who are, who are, who are already agents uh, and so on and so on. So there are many ways to take out that. Now, but once they get them agitated enough and, and, and the, the people can't, uh, or don't want to rebel, then uh, you send in the hard power by any pretext whatsoever will do. You know. Britain did the same thing uh, through your, your, your history in India. Uh, India was built of many, many factions. There was no united India. And uh, Britain would go in and supply one side and teach them basic warfare and so on and get them to fight the neighbours near them. And uh, then they would go and supply the other neighbours and get them to fight back. And once they had decimated enough of each other, Britain would walk in with the military and say, well, we're here to keep the peace, you see. And the people would, would say, oh, I guess they're the saviours. We should follow the direction of the, what, they, what they say. This is an old, old technique uh, that even, even Napoleon commented on. So, yeah, the, to an extent, conspiracy is an ongoing thing all the time. That's the problem with society. Is a conspiracy is just a lie. You lie to the public. But politicians always lie to the public. That's what they've known for down through history, is lying to the public. And the, the oddest of one that actually tells the truth is immortalized for all time, right? Oh, well, yeah, you know, uh, it can be. Um, well, I'm saying people admire JFK because they saw him as an honest man or Lincoln. And uh, It is such the exception to the rule, is my point. It is exception, there's no doubt about it. You understand that to get into prime ministership in the British Commonwealth countries, you're already vetted uh, by 
either the, the, the Australian Institute for International Affairs, uh, uh, the CFR, and they've changed their name in Canada recently again after that last debacle in 2005 when they came out as the CFR of Canada with Lloyd Axworthy on television saying they drafted up the whole agreements for the NAFTA integration. And it didn't go sit well with the public, so they changed their name in Canada. Australia has its version, New Zealand, there's one in India, and, and there's one now for the whole European Union. So they're already vetted and, and sworn allegiance to this organization and its mandates before they take any oath of office for the country. Let me ask you, what do you think of uh, such terms as New World Order or the Illuminati? The Illuminati go way back to any educated group. That's where alumni comes from, you know. And uh, it's been used and misused, of course, in history. Um, we do know that, that the revolutionaries like Mazzini, who used the terms, because they, they also brought in, you understand that revolution used different societies of, for secrecy's purposes. Uh, otherwise, you'd be hung if you plan to overthrow countries. And so they had very secret societies. Uh, Britain exported a lot of these the societies to, to, the, to, the, to these, the countries who wanted to have uh, uh, wars or, or disruption in, because every, say, Freemasonic society in Europe had to have a charter from the Lodge of England. But, but in England, they didn't have the agitate for overthrow of the British government, but they made sure they exported it abroad and actually sent a lot of agents over. So Mazzini and these guys definitely knew the world agenda for world revolution. Uh, we know out of that came uh, the Young Turk movement and with the Young Italian movement. It was run from London uh, through the Mil Alfred Milner group, Lord Alfred Milner, who, coupled with Cecil Rhodes Foundation and Lord Rothschild, eventually formed the Royal Institute for International Affairs. It's a big one, big private organization. They were set out to take the, over the world's resources that's diamonds, golds, eventually food, minerals, and still going on today until big monopolies will, have, will own everything that we need for survival. It's pretty well there, actually. But anyway, they also fomented wars. Their own personal historian, Carl Quigley, Professor Quigley, uh, from their archives, fills you in on how they started the Boer War and blamed the, the, the Dutch. The, the Dutch didn't do it at all. And how they managed to get the British army to come in and save the British by giving fake stories, because they even had their Times reporter with them, they put in fake stories sent back to London. So the British taxpayer ended up paying for the troops to go in, and they laid down the railroad lines and so on for the big private corporations to take all their minerals, ore and gold and all the rest of it out of the country, so that you'd, you always pay for it as a taxpayer. Canada's done the same with uh, the US, of course, in Afghanistan. And we've opened up roads and the whole bits for the Chinese, under a deal with the Chinese, for them to come in and take the massive minerals and rights. Iraq got a special deal from the U.S. government to get their oil for China at $3 a barrel. This is all big, big, massive international business. And the taxpayer ends up footing the bill for the wars. Always, well, we always do, you know. And I don't think anyone is so naive in any elite circle, certainly not any I've ever mixed with, as to ever believe that um, the military and the system and the taxpayers exist to serve them and their agenda. It's an audience question. We're almost out of time. I'd like Alan to start investigating occult, aliens, Atlantis, demons, ghosts, paranormal stuff. 
What do you think about that area of research? I know how it started because there were many, many rebellions fomented in the Middle Ages and across Europe, uh, fomented by naturally dissatisfied peasantry generally, who were goaded on by other peoples who wanted to, to eventually attain power for themselves. It was very simple in those days to get the peasants to attack the power structures because the power structures uh, pre-Luther, uh, for instance, was a kind of monolithic Catholic culture. And in the Catholic culture, they dispensed privileges to different people. You could buy bishoprics and tax the people, for instance, from the Catholic Church in Germany. So you found some of the other groups that were disaffected or had been uh, hit by the Catholic Church got together uh, and they went into capitalism. Capitalism is an old Jewish uh, tradition, and whenever Jews had it hard, they would, go, they would retreat back into a capitalistic magic or superstition. You understand? It was a traditional with them. But anyway, the Christian types uh, started to call it Christian Kabbalah, because only from the Old Testament, which is a revolutionary book, uh, everything, every main revolution in the world has come out of Christendom, uses the Old Testament version, which is Judaic. And had it been persecuted, and therefore it's a right to stand up and fight whoever enemy it was. Uh, you find the same thing with Cromwell. Cromwell used lots of quotes, all Judaic, to, to, for, the, for, for, for the rights to, to bring in a different kind of uh, society uh, using a, a, a kind of modified religion. So anyway, a lot of the, these particular groups came out, including the Illuminati group and Weishaupt and all the rest of it. Weishaupt was only one member, remember, and one little lodge of the Bienen Order of Germany. The Order of the Bees, the Beehive represents the perfect or perfect order society. And he, he, he does, um, uh, that's the same symbol, in fact, that was the first experiment to set up in the back garden of the Royal Society in England, which is a scientific Freemasonic society set up to guide the world along the proper areas of science and directions of science. So, uh, and all the way back to Egypt as well. And in, in the U.S. and some of the high, highly Freemasonic uh, uh, states in the U.S., like Utah, where Mormons are, their symbol is the beehive again. So these are all, all old symbols that go back, back for thousands of years, many of them, uh, which are still used uh, by the disaffected to bring in what they believe is a perfect society. Eugenicists, of course, like it too, for an ordered society, etc. Now, when you enter the, what's called now today the New Age, the New Age came out really of the Madame Blavatsky movement. Uh, it was a system set up uh, to get the women in for a change, to get, to get them involved in revolutions and to change society. Uh, and she, she had, uh, her uncle supposedly uh, from Russia was a high mason and she, read, read, she claimed to read his books. But um, her job, was, she said, was to blend the mysticism and, 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 uh, and religions of the East with the West for a future society, you see, to be it possible for a future society, uh, kind of multicultural. And if you look at today's society, in Britain especially, uh, the primary immigrants in Britain are, are from India. And so she pushed the Indian philosophies and so on. The Beatles promoted it too for a while. 
uh, and and in came the influx from India, which made it more acceptable to the people. Like they, they, these, these folk were more special. They knew esoteric stuff, and at least that's what folk believed. You know, uh, and it was much much easier integration as people were fascinated by them. So you prepare a society before you introduce the foreign element to it, or foreign logic, or whatever. And so it was carefully done. And you'll find even in writings like Albert Pike, who was the Pope of Freemasonry from Charlton, Virginia. And, and, and uh, he said, he ran the world, uh, he was the head as well of, uh, of uh, the World Revolutionary Movement, which eventually became, through Mazzini, uh, the World Communist Movement. Uh, and the, after Mazzini, uh, it was Lenin to uh, took over. So these were world, world revolutionaries using secrecy and a mixture of uh, esoteric knowledge, as they called it. A lot of it was simple coding and stuff, you know. But um, to alter society and direct society into a planned area they wanted it all to go to. Uh, and uh, today, unfortunately, the esoteric side, you understand just two things. You, you can use any, any factual information for two different ways, any time in history. Uh, you can, if people are waking up to something that's going on, it's far easier to keep them running in circles, chasing their tails, by giving them the esoteric or aliens to follow and chase. It's far easier, it's better for governments because the heat's taken off them. It's not them at fault. No, you're run by blood-sucking reptiles and rubbish like this, you see. Distraction and fascination. Uh, there are people who get caught up in it. Are those curious people that could otherwise be looking behind the curtain? Absolutely. And, and the politicians are so happy because you're not blaming the politicians for selling you out in any particular area. The heat's off them. Well, they can't help it. You see, it's the aliens that are ruling it behind the scenes. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful, isn't it? But even the New World Order serves that function. Why write to your local congressman or whatever when it's the New World Order? It's beyond you. You can't attack that system. You have to ask them what they mean by a New World Order. There's always been orders in society. And... At one point when Britain ruled the waves, that was the British naval order for the world. Uh, during the Cold War, the, the, the world order then was east against west. Uh, after the Cold War, it, we're, we're basically into another new world order, and that's what Bush Sr. was talking about, a new world order coming into view and so on. But it's not finished yet, because with the rise of China, which was planned and discussed at the Royal Institute of International Affairs in the 1930s, uh, I have their meeting, their, their members' books here. And every famous person and governments from all over the world attended those meetings. Uh, they said they'd make China rise. China's would rise to be the manufacturer of the future. If the average person heard that back then, they would never have believed it. It would be, imp- be ridiculous, impossible. But it was planned as far back as then. And China, even if you go back to Arnold Toynbee, the professor at Oxford, and uh, he, he, in the 1930s, he said, uh, he said eventually, he said, um, uh, America, towards the end of the century, will be exhausting itself. It will, it will come back for one more push and then be completely bankrupted. And then China would take over as the policeman of the world. Now, that's frightening. Well, most folk out today, with all the great propaganda we get and the way it's put over by propagandists, and scientific um, linguistical patterns of speech and so on, and repetition. It's very simple, the ways of doing it. Uh, you can train the public to accept it. A lot of them will accept this. Alan, you're a fascinating guy. I could just listen to you for hours. 
but unfortunately our time is up. If the audience wants to learn more about you or listen to your shows, buy some of your books, support you, where should they go? Where are some of the best places to learn more about you? This is going to CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. I have other sites listed on that, that page. Uh, you can download thousands and thousands for free uh, shows I've done in the past where I go through some of the, some of the earlier stuff. I go through some of the esoteric uh, things we're talking about tonight and explain their, the histories of them, origins. And there's also Alan Watt Sentient, sentinel.eu, where you can get transcripts in all languages of many of the talks I've given for print up as well as the free audios. So go into cuttingthroughthematrix.com and you've got thousands of hours to listen to there if you want to. Alan, it's been an honor to have you on the program. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for your time today. And thanks for having me.